Hello, and welcome to another episode of Esquire University. Today, we're going to be talking with Brian Vogel, who has been working exclusively with MassTort clients for the past five years. We're going to cover how to pick a tort, what your budget should be, how to choose a co-counsel firm and whether you should co-counsel, marketing, how to deal with fall-off or when you lose clients that you've signed, and then talking about uh, some of the intake processes. Uh, Enjoy the episode. Here's Brian Vogel. Brian Vogel, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Eric. Thanks for having me. So let's jump right into it. Uh, there's, there's really quite a bit to a mass tort. If you're, let's just say, a small to medium-sized firm, a lot of decisions and things that you need to think about. Uh, let's start at the beginning. How would a law firm pick which tort they should invest in? Well, first, uh, you want to kind of look at what you like, what you see out there, maybe what you're passionate about, what you've seen come in just through your natural single event practice. Uh, But most importantly, you got to lean on your network or, in fact, grow your network, because that's where you're going to get the best advice on which torts are looking good, which decisions may go go to the positive or to the negative of uh, an impending settlement. So I would say reaching out to your network of attorneys that have done mass torts, that litigate mass torts, or getting introductions to people that are directly involved with the PSC um, to get their advice on what where should they put their money. Now, you know, a mass tort has, you know, uh, kind of a standard lifespan. You know, there's several of these get filed, then they move towards this MDL process. Is there a specific time frame that you like to tell people to, to jump in? Or do you want to go over kind of the pros and cons of getting in early or later on a, on a specific tour? Yeah, I mean, the benefits of going early is you're, you're going to get a, a very low cost per acquisition. But that's also, you know, not all those people you sign up, even if it was later on in the process, are going to make it to a fileable case, but you do get a bigger group of people that you get to vet through when you finally get the bellwether, uh, not to the bellwether, the Daubert hearing rulings and kind of vet out everyone that kind of qualifies for that new criteria. So in the middle, you're looking at kind of that sweet spot. You know, you're not paying too much. You're not paying too little like you do in the very beginning. And then when you get closer to the bellwethers and after that Daubert ruling, um, then you're looking at a premium. For instance, Zantac, People were buying, you know, pre-screen claimants for probably four or five hundred dollars. Uh, right now, they're um, at about, I think, anywhere from nine hundred to twelve hundred. Some people have it much higher. Uh, Daubert uh, hearing is going to be happening later this year. We think it's going to go up, you know, two, three thousand plus for the these uh, pre-screen claimants that you can get filed. But also, it's a cancer case, so things like that where you have major damages, um, it's worth paying a little bit more. To, to wait um, if you if you have to be very judicious with your budget. So part of the selection process, you're you're obviously thinking about the case values. So obviously something like Santac, which is leading to cancer compared to say the 3M earplugs, where you've got obviously this isn't anything anybody would would want, but tinnitus compared to you know some type of cancer, those are part of the, the process of picking the tort. Yes. Well, it's all going to come down to your ROI. Um, you know, you got to take what the acquisition is going to be. So if you look at 3M, you know, it may you may see a 50 percent drop off rate or a fall off rate. 
Um, so if you're paying, let's say right now you're paying $800 for, for a pre-screen claimant. And so for every two of those, you get one fileable case at $1,600. So if you're looking at, let's say they settle on $20,000 per, per claimant, you know, and that's the range has been as, you know, as low as, you know, just, just below 20,000 to, you know, above 30,000. Those are all guesstimates, nothing is set in stone. Um, I say this as the bellwether is going on right now as we speak. But you're looking at $8,000 in fees there it, it, with a 40% fee. Now, if you're referring that case out and you're getting half of that and you're spending $1,600, well, you're basically a little more than doubling your money, um, kind of even that two to three times. So that's a pretty good return on investment. Now, if you start paying $1,500 uh, assigned claimant and then it's still a, you know anticipated 50% fall off, now you're paying $3,000 to potentially make $4,000. So if that that settlement of 20k and this is a guesstimate falls below that you get closer and closer to breaking even or even losing money when you look at some of the other back end costs you have as far as extra staff if you're doing some of the intake acquiring the medical records all those things that that are involved you know those costs you should you should integrate into your 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 ROI calculator got it now the part of the selection process you know in the beginning when everybody's deciding what to jump into is a lot of educated guessing. Are there any tools that you suggest people use, uh, places to go and, and research this stuff on their own besides talking with attorneys, which which I agree is probably the, the number one thing is talk to attorneys. And if someone's really investing their own money, then you know how serious they are about it. Yeah, I mean, besides there's, there's lots of stuff on Google, obviously, but there's things, services like Law360, LexisNexis, Westlaw, um, Harris Martin, various uh, resources where you can look at case law that's that prior to this. Um, and even when you look at ref, uh, look at attorneys that you talk to, if I'm looking to invest in Paragard, I'm probably going to talk to someone that handled Escher um, or someone that that was part of Morena, which was was failed, but kind of find out what they like about Paragard and what they don't like about Paragard because those people have been tested. Morena saw a, a, a you know a not so positive result. Escher saw a very good result. So you can kind of get an idea with someone that, that did a birth control device um, uh, litigation and find out what they think on a Paragard. So I think if you can find someone that handled uh, a drug, drug drug MDLs are much different than, than, than device MDLs. So there's a lot of different nuances. So I would make sure you speak with people that had similar products, devices, or drugs as well, because that's only going to strengthen your research when you go to make a decision on these torts. Got it. So this the calculation really comes down to what you can acquire the cases for and then your confidence level of there being a settlement and the the amount of settlement per injury, which really is is a guessing game until you get to the very end stages of the litigation. Correct. So how if you were going to give advice to somebody on what the case would be worth, you tell them to talk to leadership or how is that best determined? Well, you can look at prior prior settlements, although those aren't a direct indicator on what your cases are going to be worth. Um, you can look at hernia mesh. There's been previous settlements, you know, where people got anywhere from a hundred some thousand dollars per per case to seventy thousand dollars per case. You can try and apply that to the upcoming bellwethers that are occurring in, with the, the the big three and hernia mesh. But you also want to make sure you're looking at how many people are out there. How competitive is it? 
I think there are so many people trying to get Paraquat right now. And Paraquat sounds just like Roundup to most people. Like, hey, it's a pesticide. It doesn't cause NHL, but it does cause, you know, uh, has been linked to causing uh, Parkinson's. So everyone's jumping on the bandwagon. Costs are going through the roof. But what people are finding out is that you have to be licensed to use this pesticide. This is not something you buy at Home Depot or Lowe's. So there aren't as many people out there because, and two, people are still buying Roundup off the shelves. So you want to make sure how easy is it to acquire people? How many potential claimants are there out there? What's your competition? What's the case value worth? Um, are there different statute limitation issues that may come into effect versus a product versus a device? This is where working with uh, attorneys is very important um, because they know those, those idiosyncrasies that come with state-to-state with -state litigation. So I think you've you got to kind of lay everything out. It's almost like a, a research project like you would do um, in a bio lab. You know, you want to make sure you, you check off all these boxes because this this is not, you know, $50 here, $100 there. You're looking at substantial budgets. Some people put six, seven figures um, and it leverages this for four, five, six, seven years. Um, so you want to make sure you're as close to accurate as possible. Okay. So jumping into that, let's let's really get into the, the budgets now. Uh, most law firms who come into this probably have a a very loose idea of I'm going to invest X amount of dollars and I'm going to get five or 10 X. What do you usually tell somebody when discussing the budget with them? They need to be realistic. And, and, and I will actually tell them they should probably hold off until they have a more serious budget. You can't go in and try and spend $15,000 here or even $25,000 here, unless you're talking about some kind of class action where you're getting people for, you know, a dollar a piece, you know, because you're just, you're just looking for the entire country. Um, so you want to see what, what is the cost per acquisition for the, the, the claims that you're looking to do? And you probably want to get at least 50 of those. So if I'm looking at the thing Zantex a thousand dollars and I want to at least have a $50,000 budget, um, the more, the more body of work you get, the better idea you're going to get of what your fileable numbers are. Um, take for instance, right now, talc, it's a very mature campaign, lots of fall off. People may see a 20% fileable rate, maybe even less, um, could see maybe as high as 30%. So if you say, hey, I'm gonna go get uh, 10 talc cases and I'll at least have, I'll walk away with three. Well, those 10, you may have someone you can't get a hold of, someone that ended up having uterine cancer, someone maybe had appendicitis, you have someone that's a dual rep, all these things can start to fall off when you're dealing with such a small number like a, like 10 or 20, the law of, of numbers could be against you. So law of averages could be against you. So you, you at least want to have at least 50 signed retainers if you're going to go after a tort, whatever that cost may be. With talc, it could be $150,000 you're looking to spend. Um, but that's the risk you need to be able to take. If not, you should hold off and spend it on your, your single event practice to kind of get some of those big hitters. So you can just write a check or be comfortable with a finance option that doesn't make you lose sleep overnight with the money you're paying until that does settle. Right. And with a budget, I think what uh, at a law firm who might be stepping into this for the first time is it's not just a marketing budget. There's there's a lot of other costs associated with this. I don't know if you want to kind of give an overview of, of what those expectations would be. Yeah, a lot of that depends on what your role is going to be. And it also determines how much your split split's going to be. And um, we can talk about that later. But let's say you're just getting people signed up and you're sending that straight to the law firm. Well, your costs are kind of, they kind of end there. 
you're just waiting for the sell. And now it's whatever you use to finance, whether it's your own money, so you're, you're losing a little bit of interest of the money in the bank, or if you're paying a finance fee, that needs to be calculated into your ROI. But other people may get involved with other aspects. Like as soon as that, that packet comes in, they may they uh, have to call that person and verify the information. They may be using uh, a company to go get medical records. Uh, then you got to sift through those medical records and maybe vet those uh, signed claimants out and then send them over to your referring firm. So you've got cost of intake. You've got cost of medical record retrieval. you got cost to examine those records. So there's a lot of extra costs. Plus, you have to look at what that could cost your, your existing business. Is this going to take away from your, your car crash um, practice? If you have people on the phone that are normally boom, 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 uh, getting people scheduled for an auto accident where an intake for a mass tour could take anywhere from 5, 10, 15 minutes. Yeah, the uh, the the opportunity cost for running these campaigns can be really large because you're, like you said, you're talking about probably six figures to jump into to one of these. Uh, it'd probably be pretty rare to do something under that. Uh, one of the other fees that comes to mind that I know can be different depending on the MDL is the filing fees. In some cases, I think you can file, you know, several at a time, maybe 50 to 100. And in other cases, you might have an individual filing fee for every case. Even if that's a couple hundred bucks, that adds up if you've got several hundred cases. Yeah, or even thousands. Exactly. That's a good point. And I think if you if you want to do a if you want to invest, you've got to you got to notate all those down. Get an Excel spreadsheet and put down every expense you could incur for every claimant you bring in and then just put out how many how many people you're looking for, and that'll give you your number you need to invest. And if that number's too big, then you need to back down the number of potential claimants. This is also keeping in mind, you're gonna have fall off. So that's gonna affect your ROI as well. So you need to make sure you're looking at all the numbers before you get a loan or, or write that check with your own money. One of the most confusing parts, I think, for someone jumping into this is the co-counsel agreement. And I think some firms come in thinking, okay, I've got my budget. I'm going to go out and get X amount of cases and I'm going to file them. I'm going to do it all on my own, which, which is one potential road. The other one is to, to find uh, the cases, maybe work them up to a certain degree and then co-counsel. Can you kind of give the positive and negatives of that co-counsel agreement? Yeah, the, the positive of not doing the co-counsel agreement is only if you're educated and you're savvy on the whole mass tort litigation process. If you are, then it's a no-brainer. You're taking ownership of everything. You're making sure all of those um, leads have been worked and contacted aggressively to make sure you get everything back that you need. And then everything's been vetted and the medical records have been thoroughly reviewed. Then you file those into the MDL. So that's a pro. There's very few firms that can do that though. Um, the firms that can do that, they may have 10, 15, 20 cases. But the ones that are looking at, you know, 100, 200, 300, 1,000 cases, there, there's maybe 30 or 40 firms that are true, what we call mass tort litigation firms, that that's all they do. Um, so for most firms, they're going to have to refer to someone they because they have to keep their daily business going because that's what's paying for this investment. So uh, I think the thing to look, fat, look for when you're looking at co-counsel firms is, one, communication and transparency. How, how well are they going to communicate with you? Are they going to give you updates? Are they going to give you advice? Um, if they're seeing something that's funky in their own marketing, are they going to pass it on to you so you can change it with your, your whoever your marketing company is? Uh, transparency, reporting, 
Are they going to do monthly reports? Um, and are you doing those internally too? So you can find issues uh, maybe before that monthly meeting that you have at the end of each month or every quarter to talk about your book of business with them. Um, how well do they do intake? You know, there's a lot of big firms that people refer to, but we don't know exactly how well they work those packets they receive. How quickly are they calling those people back? It's vital. As soon as you get that packet, you're calling people. And that doesn't mean working a, a nine to five uh, work week. You have to call after hours. These people are in different time zones. So that's going to affect your ROI because that's going to affect fall off and conversion. Um, also looking at um, uh, do they have a history of doing well for their claimants and, 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 and the uh, referral firms? Is there a firm that you're working with that has had complaints in the past because there's things settled that they didn't even know about, know about until two years after the fact? Or did they make a deal for, for their, their cases and maybe yours kind of got left on the back end of that deal? So there's not many firms out there that do that, but you want to do your research on the firm almost as much as you do on the tort because that's who you're trusting in with. Just like when you you uh, you research who you're gonna um, your financial advisor on how good they are. You research your doctor that's gonna take care of your your heart surgery. You want to do the same thing for your co-counsel firm because they're gonna be responsible for tens of thousands, if not millions of dollars of yours to 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 turn that million dollars into whatever X it's gonna be after it settles. Yeah, the the advantage I see to working with a big firm that's got a lot of cases is they're going to be one of the first in line to get paid out. And if you get if you get lumped in with theirs, you're going to get paid sooner. They've got a lot of bargaining power. On the negative side, if they've got thousands and thousands of cases and you send them 50, you want to make sure that yours get worked up properly. So there is something to be said for working those cases up, making sure the medical records are complete because Although this other law firm that you're partnering with obviously has the same goal in mind is to maximize the value of the cases, just based on the number of sheer, sheer cases they have, they might not do as good of a job as you would. So I think getting those case values up on your own before you hand them over is a, is a smart idea. And then the other piece of it is the, the fee split percentage. Is there kind of a rule of thumb that, that you've seen? No, I wish there was. Usually firms um, will get like a 60-40 split if they're just sending over the packets. No, every firm's different. Some may even give you a 70-30. Um, I don't encourage those unless it's really late in the game and they're doing you a favor. So you want to make sure what can you do that's not going to affect your day-to-day -day, uh, and take away greatly from your ROI to, to get that closer to a 50-50 split. Because they are taking a lot of risk. They're taking on these cases, but they didn't spend the marketing aspect, but they are holding on to those cases. They're liable for, for any kind of issues as far as uh, uh, legal malpractice, if, there's, if things are, if, if, if uh, items are missed, statutes are missed, and, and when they didn't file in the right time, they're also getting medical records. They're, they're using their staff to continually follow up with these people to get pieces of information or, or, or documents that they need to get back for, for the court before they file or after they file. So, you want to try and get close to that 50-50 split. Um, so I think the deal is just figuring out what can your law firm handle, and then you can go ahead and, and ask for what you, you're looking for. If not, talk to two or three firms. You don't just have to go with the first person you meet. Talk with a, a few firms. Find out which one's the best fit for you, personality-wise, communication-wise, uh, and also track everything. That way you can hold everyone accountable. If you track what's coming in from your marketing, 
you can look back and go, wait a second, didn't we have this many cases for, for this type of cancer? And then you can go uh, talk to that firm about that and make sure you're on the right track. And would you suggest establishing that relationship before you start the marketing process or? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Because you, you got to figure out what their criteria is. You know, your criteria may be different than what they're looking for. If you really want to work with them and they're a good firm, and like you said, they have a seat at the table, um, then their criteria may have an extra an extra piece or two. And that's why it's important to talk with a few people because some of the bigger firms can be more picky. But the more picky you get, the more expensive that 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 that, that, that criteria is going to be. And there's no guarantees. People are just answering questions. So my dad swore he took brand names Antac. Introduced him to a friend of mine, and they called the young goes, hey, he took generic. So no matter how strict you are in criteria, you're still dealing with potential human error. They don't know exactly what they have, or they've been turned down before, and they're trying to, to maybe get through the system so they can have someone represent them. So you got to watch how picky you are with some of these referral firms, because it may be cost prohibitive when you look at fall off down the road. Yeah, I think another thing, this, I think no matter who gets into this, they really need to take on the ownership of knowing as much about the case as possible. One, one other thing that I've seen is the, the larger firm that they're going to refer to just has really, really tight qualifications, which is great because any of those things that qualify are going to be cases that get paid out, but they're taking zero risk in obtaining those. So if they give you some really, really tight qualifiers, and you take those to heart and go market for those, your cost per signed case could be astronomical. Now they've got no, you know, you're taking all the risk because whether you get one case or a hundred, they're going to take them all. And they're only going to see some type of a financial payout after they receive the payout through the, the MDL. So I'd, I'd say that would be some somewhat cautionary. Make sure that when you're getting these qualifiers, you might have one firm that you want to partner with to send these really highly qualified ones, but there might be, you know, a certain percentage of the intakes that you get that another firm would take that, that open up their qualifiers a little more. Absolutely. So one of the biggest pieces to this MDL process is obviously the marketing. How are you going to get these cases? And I, I think this is an area where there's uh, there's the most question, you know, who is the best? You know, who can get me the cases at the cheapest cost? And I know that's a very nuanced answer, but what do you typically tell people? Um, well, an attorney from a, one of the, I, I call the big five mass tort firms in the country, said he wished that he could get one company to get him all of his, his leads. Um, but he knows that's not possible. Everyone's different. Some companies may be good this week at getting Paragard uh, claimants. Then next week, it could be double. The, their, their acquisition costs could be double. Um, so it, it's it's a numbers game each week. So I say you, you find a few companies in the beginning. This is if you haven't worked with anyone. Um, you find companies that you research that you like. You obviously go out into a network into some of the law firms you're talking about, uh, talking to about potentially co-counseling with or, or friends of yours that have done mass tort marketing before. Get their recommendations. Research these people. And then eventually, you're going to have a favorite. And so Let's say you have a budget of five hundred thousand. Maybe I give this this company three hundred thousand dollars to go go get me Zantac. And then there's another company that I, I liked. There was just right under the level of the one I, I I'm giving the three hundred thousand to. 
I give them the rest and I see how they do. Because one thing you're going to see about marketing, the numbers don't mean as much until you get the finished product. And the finished product isn't a packet. It, the finished product is, is that after you get the medical records and it's vetted and reviewed and becomes a fileable case, that's when you can view it as a finished product. So you want to see how well they are, how many people come in with dual reps, uh, how many leads seem like they may be recycled or were turned down multiple times. And then what you do with that information is that you decide to invest more money into either both companies or just one. You kind of take that one company off your list. So you want to track everything. I think we've all been in legal marketing a very long time. Tracking may be the thing that's the least done um, because everyone's busy worrying about litigation and, and keeping their lights on and, and, and paying people and worrying about deadlines. So Tracking your data is paramount from the from the quality of leads to the intake, to the follow-ups, to the responses. Then you can make an educated decision on if you found uh, one or two really good marketing partners. Yeah, one of the things I like to tell people who are just getting in, if, if they've got just a standard personal injury practice, is you know make sure that they get a custom page up on their website on whatever they're doing. You know, if they're local to Denver or Boston or wherever it may be, uh, that would basically be a free case, anything that somebody finds and does a, a search for, because TV and other advertisements are going to drive people to the internet. And that means you could pick up a couple of cases. And, and if it's a big case like Zantac, where there's a lot of those out, or hernia mesh, where there's a ton of those out, you get five or 10 cases in a year. That's, you know, just for putting up a page, I think is a smart idea. Uh, you want to talk about the differences between maybe the awareness campaigns, you know, like TV and Facebook, and then maybe a more targeted campaign like PPC. Uh, any any suggestions there, or just options that you tell people about? Yeah, I think it comes with research in the companies. You know, bottom line is going to come down to two choices: you're either going to get leads that you work yourself; they come in. Your intake center takes care of them, or you partner with a third-party call center, or you're going to work with a marketing company that gets you signed firm agreements or packets, as they say, which includes the firm agreement, the HIPAA and high-tech uh, forms. A lot of law firms don't get directly involved in the marketing. They trust the companies. And so people use everything from TV, radio, programmatic, uh, social media, paid search, um, as well as online radio and TV. So there's so many different mediums to go after nowadays that um, you want to constantly monitor, you know, where are things coming from? If it becomes an issue, you're getting leads that are maybe stale. Um, maybe those are coming from a certain aspect. Maybe they're coming from a newspaper. And then, you know, your marketing company or yourself, you know that you need to turn that off because it's bringing you the wrong type of client, even though it's consuming part of your budget. So you want to know where everything's coming from. You want to make sure you're working with an ethical company, but a lot of law firms don't dive into the, the do that deep dive into exactly what avenue um, potential claimants are coming from. Yeah, and I'd like to add one thing to that. Anybody who's who's thinking of saving a few dollars by having their own intake team do this, they, I would I would caution against that. Number one, if you're running real mass toward ads, the volume can get really high. I mean, you could spike up, depending on what advertising you do, you could get 10 calls in, in 10 minutes. And if you're putting people on hold, or if you're stressing your own staff and pulling them away from from other things, you're not going to have a great result. I I even had you know from back in the day, I used to listen in on some of the phone calls that were being a part of the intake, 
And the intake team didn't even know that they were running a, a national campaign. So, you know, this law firm was in Colorado and they get a call from Maine and they go, oh, we don't take cases in Maine. And now they just lost this, this what could have been a qualified lead. So I would suggest if you're getting into this for the first time, use third party, use recommended third party people who've been doing this for a while. If you start to learn the process yourself and you want to take on some of that ownership to in, increase your profitability, great. But you could get burned if you try to take on too much too soon. Yeah, which is going to affect your profit on the other side, too. If your bandwidth is strained, it's going to decrease the conversion on both, both aspects. And plus, a mass tort intake is much different than, than, a, than a car accident intake or a wrongful death or a, a slip and fall. They're different beasts. And, and if your people aren't trained properly, not only is it going to affect both sides, you're going to have a, a much poorer conversion on the mass tort because it takes a different tone, takes more compassion. Yeah. The the one thing that you've brought up a couple of times that I think kind of deserves its, you know, a little bit more, uh, you know, diving into is this fall off rate. You know, I think if if somebody talks to a firm, uh, a marketing company, they say, oh, we're getting Zantac for a thousand dollars each. The guy goes, OK, I want 100 cases. But that really doesn't mean 100 cases. So, you know, talk talking about this fall off rate. You know, to someone who might be new to this, what are the most important things to know that, and it's, I don't think it's anything that's disingenuous. It's just the nature of the beast that, that you are going to lose some of the cases that you actually thought were legitimate cases. Yeah, I think it's the, the most common theme that I see when it comes to new attorneys investing into mass torts is that they think if they buy a hundred town cases, they have a hundred fileable cases. So when they calculate ROI, they look at, let's say, they got 100 cases and every case is worth 40,000 to them, then they're gonna make $400,000. Um, that's not the case. Hopefully the math is okay on that. I'm, a, I'm from Ohio, so sometimes my math doesn't, doesn't always add up, but you know that's not true. And I, I always stress that to the point, I almost talk people out of doing mass torts just because I want them to be scared because there is an aspect that, you know this isn't a game where you're always gonna win the 10 to one, 20 to one. Uh, a lot of returns are gonna be three to one, four to one, which are still great returns on investment. So fall off, it can include not being able to reach a claimant. So you did the marketing, you got the person signed up, you got their information, they won't answer the phone. That's a that's that's an issue. And, and most marketing firms can't, can't help you with that because once they leaves their intake center, they can't control what happens afterwards. So you got that, you got dual representation. Now some law, now some marketing companies may cover that, may replace it, but, but not everyone does. So there's another area where potential fall off. Then you got criteria changes. So you may have two or three cancers in, in Zantac that are knocked off the list. Now you could have a couple added, but more likely than not, you're gonna lose things. You may lose age instead of 70 uh, and below for prostate cancer. By the time it goes through, through uh, Daubert, it may be 55 and below. So you may have lost 3% of your cases. So you, you've got that. You've got to watch out for um, changes in science. Um, or maybe they were mistaken. Just like with my father. He swore he took Zantac. Well, he lives in Ohio. You're not going to get generic law there. So um, those are a lot of things you have to look at because that's going to dramatically affect your ROI. I mean, I always tell people, plan on a 50% fall off rate. If it still makes sense then, then it's a great investment. Now it could be more than that, or it could be less, 
Um, but if you plan that 50%, that puts you in a pretty safe place that you're making a good, good decision if it turns out to be a two, three, one and above. Yeah. One of the others that I've heard about on this fall off is, you know, because so much advertising gets done at certain stages of this, if someone has cancer, let's say they've taken Zantac, they have a cancer, but it's not a qualifying one. They actually change their own. They, they say, oh, no, I did have stomach cancer, you know, instead of the other cancer that they said. So they're just hoping they're going to slip by. So the marketing was done correctly. The intake was done correctly, but the information provided wasn't accurate. And that just all has to be weighed in. Like you said, if, if someone's new to this, I think they really need to go in with a very conservative estimates on everything to make sure they're not going to tie up a bunch of their finances for what could be a year or two or, or much longer uh, without getting a, a return that they expect. Yeah. Uh, the, you know, we've covered intake and in the in some of the tracking that uh, someone should do. When you talk about uh, when you talk to some of these firms about uh, financing, and I know you don't specifically work with financing, but uh, that can be a pitfall, can't it? Yes, because it's a cost that, you're, that most people don't take into account when they when they do it. So. Whenever you look at what your finances, you got to be prepared for that money to be charged fees and interest for three, four, five years. I mean, look how long talc's been going on. And they're just now going into bellwethers. So people that started getting talc cases six, seven plus years ago, if they're financing that, my goodness, the fees are paying. So you have to be willing to look at this may not uh, settle on the anticipated year. Um, you know, 3M, hurry mesh. A lot of people think those are going to uh, settle here in the next year or two. But what if it doesn't? Then you're hanging on to that money because that two year seems to be the, the sweet spot for, for a lot of financing. Once you get to the third and fourth year, um, that's where it can really add up and take away from your ROI. So you got to talk to multiple companies, find out because there's some that will do, they won't make you make any payments or you do interest only payments until, until it settles. Some no payments until you settle. Um, some you, you, you pay while, while the litigation is going on. So you want to talk to numerous companies and find out what's going to be the best deal, plan for what, what might happen, and also make sure that you're still covered in case worst case scenario hits. Yeah, the, the, the investment or the allure of the mass torts is, you know, you hear about all these settlements that were amazing. You know, you had like Pradaxa and, you know, Eshore did really well. And, you know, way back in the day, there was the, the FinFan. Um, I think people kind of get, they, they feel like there's, there's no way to lose here. And in most cases, if you do your homework, you, know, you can, you know, use some of that money that, you know, let's say you're saturated in your personal injury market and you've got an extra quarter of a million dollars to invest. This can really be good but you've got to do your due diligence. And I can't stress enough, as you said in the beginning, talk to other people who are doing it. And I would really take to heart people who are investing their own money into these, uh, into a specific MDL as opposed to, oh yeah, we like that litigation, we're just not in it. Because you know, at the end of the day, it's really gonna be your money and whether it's tied up and even if it's profitable, if you don't have access to it for five years, which is not out of the out of the range for a, for a mass tort, there's a lot of other things you could have done with your own practice. Oh yeah, you, anything you you talk about when you talk about building your network with mass tort attorneys, um, you want to find out their failures and successes. But any part of of the mass tort litigation process, 
You should be reaching out to these people, picking a tort, marketing companies, financing, medical record companies, uh, CMS software is, 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 is vital to making sure things don't get uh, to, things don't fall into the cracks and potentially cost you, you know, big clients. So I think everything that you talk about to these people should be notated. And, and you talk as a team, you have a mass tort team, you should be having these meetings and talking about what you're hearing that's new. What are some things that you found to be successful? Make sure you pass those on, pay it forward. Um, but also things there, there may be some chinks in your armor where you can actually improve your process and, and take a, a two to one return at the end of the day to maybe a three and a half to one because you made certain changes into your process that, that, that now instead of seeing a, uh, a 60% fall off rate, now you're at only a 30% fall off rate because you, you you tweaked your intake program or you use a different medical record company what, or, or maybe use a different co-counsel firm. So there's a lot of things you can do, but at the end of the day, you got to rely on the people that have actually done it, made the mistakes, bloodied their nose, and then you know learn from their mistakes instead of your own. Well, that's good. Well, Brian, thanks for your time today. I think this gives uh, anyone who's thinking about mass torts some really good groundwork on, on where to start. Uh, so anybody who is, uh, has any other questions, they can reach out to me uh, through the podcast uh, email address and would be happy to get you in touch with Brian. So thanks again, Brian. Thanks, Eric.